So in this episode of the podcast, uh, I'm going to be talking with David Hajar. David and I go way back here with other projects, but he's going to bring a mountain of experience to what we're going to be talking about. And that's what to do after a crisis like what just happened in Afghanistan. Stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to The Leadersmith. Now, here is your host, Darren Gertis. Okay, so I'm here, as I said, with David Hajar. Uh, David uh, has a wealth of experience and background in in the kind of question of like, what, what do you do? Afghanistan, the, the last Americans, I saw a picture of the last American soldier getting on the plane, getting out of Afghanistan. Now that doesn't mean the last American. That means the last American soldier is getting on the plane. So what, at this point, what do you do? I mean, because there's going to be a big uh, problem one way or another. And well, before I ask you what you, what you do, because you're going to have refugees and you're going to have shortages and all kinds of things, tell the audience a bit about your background. Like I brought you on for a very specific reason. Tell, tell us about your resume, your Vita. Well, thank you for having me on Darren. I appreciate the opportunity. I I'm sorry to be talking here from my car, but don't I, worry about that. <laughs> Now, um, my, my, I have over 35 years of humanitarian assistance and disaster response experience, uh, worked with the UN for uh, half a dozen years, uh, was with USAID for more than 10 years, uh, particularly uh, working with uh, the Bureau for Democracy, Conflict and Humanitarian Assistance. Uh, was on a U.S. diplomatic passport for about six years, participated in numerous uh, international uh, negotiations and uh, uh, things along those lines. So I've been in war situations and dealing with a lot of geopolitical uh, structures and movements and so on for, for decades. Yeah, you're you're dealing with humanitarian assistance in Iraq, for example, right? Correct. Okay, Correct. so you've seen this all play out before, not like not this particular scenario, but I mean, what happens when military is there or withdraws or you know, refugees or that all that kind of uh, circumstance, right? Correct. Correct. Plus, uh, I grew up in Beirut in Lebanon. And so a lot of the dynamics of the various uh, types of groups that we're talking about here are somewhat similar. Now, depending on the age of whoever's listening, that might not have meant much. Can you explain a bit about growing up in Beirut? Yes, I actually went through a lot of the civil war there in in the mid seventies. Actually, Beirut, as often viewed as the crux of democracy and business and tourism and so on in the Middle East. And the fact of the matter is that since uh, its independence in 1943, uh, Lebanon had a full uh, democratic system 
in place where everybody, each person, each individual is absolutely free to vote for anybody that they want um, or to run for office or what have you. <clears throat> but the culture there throughout the Middle East, including Afghanistan, which is not part of the Middle East, but that, that culture, um, the mindset is that your primary allegiance is to your clan, is your extended family, is to your tribe, rather than to your nation or to yourself personally. So even though we had complete free elections, to this day, the same people or their sons um, are still in power. Mm. It's a matter of almost rotating portfolios within Parliament, uh, with you know, within the upper and lower houses, kind of parallel to the Senate and, and the House of Representatives here, uh, just because people have their allegiance to their clan leader. So they vote freely, but they vote for the same people who take advantage and mess up the system. Mm. But also through that, um, I was uh, I lived through a lot of the. Um, cultural, economic, and geopolitical conflict that took place between um, the haves and the have-nots and lived through how all of the political parties, all these political groups abused, if you will, um, the notion and the concept of religion mm -hmm. to further their own political and economic uh, aims mm -hmm. in the sense that the different socioeconomic and cultural um, and ideological group had a different religious makeup constitution. And so they used that to attract young people who were fighting for the cause of God, for the cause of the right, for the cause of justice. Um, and, and uh, you know, some of that same type of dynamic is what we're encountering in uh, situations like what we have in Afghanistan. Okay, so that's that's part one. That's the political. What I was referring to is with your experience. Tell us about just walking to college. <laughs> I mean, because if the, if young people particularly don't know what Lebanon was like, tell us what your experience was when you were a young person. Yeah, I mean, day, day to day it was uh, a life and death situation. In the sense that, I mean, for me, one of the big uh, changes in mindset when I moved to the U.S. and I first came here as a refugee escaping the, uh, the civil war in Lebanon. Um, here, you know, when, before I go to class or before I go to work, you know, I, I turn on the news. I listen to the from broadcasts to see the weather report figure out you know what am i supposed to wear what you know uh what have you and, and just to kind of plan my my course in lebanon it was a similar process except that what we did is you would listen you would actually spend about an hour so you'd listen you know on the hour on the quarter hour on the half hour on the 45 minutes to hear different perspectives from from different political uh parties to know where there were kidnappings, where there were roadblocks, where explosions had gone off, and where there was actually active conflict, active fighting going on. Uh, and then you would plot your course to try to get to your destination, hoping 
that the situation hadn't changed significantly in the meantime. And then you'd have to repeat that to come back. So going to the store, going to visit a friend or, or, or a family member, for me, going to college, going my, my university was 10 blocks away from where I lived. And I had to go through that same process, mm-hmm. going and coming back. And even with that, you know, there were numerous times where, um, you know, suddenly the street would clear out because there was a sniper. And so you'd have to take cover and try to make make your way or, you know, you'd be really careful about abandoned cars for the obvious uh, car bombs that happened frequently. In fact, there were several instances where I couldn't I couldn't get back home and I would literally end up spending the night on the floor of my classroom just because, uh, you know, fighting had flared up or or I would get home walking up four flights of stairs, you know, four, four floors, completely glass and closed to find everyone at home kind of huddled in the hallway because there was a sniper in the building across the street. And yeah. I had just walked that whole path and, and uh, fortunately had uh, not been spotted or chosen as a target. So you're the right guy to be talking to, even if it wasn't for your sterling resume. Now, you and I, I've, I've, we've talked about this, about what's on your resume. And I mean, you've got a wealth of experience with refugee kind of issues and what's going on, how to get aid places, those kinds of, of questions, which is going to be pertinent here. So let's look at it. Afghanistan has the last military has just a U.S. military has just left Afghanistan. And so now there are at least some American citizens, there are people that have worked with Americans that are in desperate danger, right? Because the the Taliban has maybe a different perspective. I remember talking about the Taliban. I was teaching high school history and government and econ. I remember explaining about what the Taliban was in 2000. But in 2000, these guys were already bad actors and we didn't realize what was going on. Um, and then when when 9-11 hit, I was trying to explain on 9-12 why and what's going on. Well, I just happened to have a friend whose name also was David, by the way, who uh, was a Middle East expert. He actually had done his his studies on the Middle East, had been to the Middle East. Um, like he understood what was going on uh, that night. If you remember on 9-11, it was either that night or the next day there was there was already you know something firing on the taliban well that was maybe with our assistance but that was uh ahmad musaud i think it was he was the lion of the panjshir that was his his uh uh name or his nickname he was he was actually killed just before 9/11 but his people were still were already firing on the taliban in fact the panjshir is the only place still holding out right now that's the only region still holding out against the Taliban. Anyway, so I'm digressing. But so <laughs> 20 years later, we've just left. There's let's uh, we're not going to talk about why the the negligence, the uh, the leadership. Um, I don't even know what to call this. The leadership vacuum that we created, the the uh, leadership miscalculation uh, that went into what's going on. Okay, what's done is done. Now what happens? That's what I'm interested in. What happens now to to the refugees, to to the people that have to get out to the I mean, how do you how do you coordinate aid? Like what needs to be done now? Because it's it's good. The p- terrorists are probably lousy governors. They know how to blow up stuff and try to, you know, 
drive to get their way, but they, they don't know how to govern. It's a, it's a totally different skill set. So go. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough question. And I'm glad you brought up some of the history because I think it's important to keep in mind that the U.S., in fact, we here in, in the United States actually helped set up and start the Taliban. Um, the Taliban actually came out as part of the Mujahideen, which was a group of the uh, Afghani resistance to yeah. the Soviet occupation. Yeah, Charlie Wilson's war. That's right. Exactly. Precisely. And uh, particularly with the involvement of Pakistan, which is one of our allies, um, the, the Taliban were, were favored and equipped and trained and, and so on way, way back then. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we have a long, a long history of involvement with them. And, and again, it's something that we seem to do repetitively in different parts, in different parts of the world. But at the same time, let me give a parallel example, because I think it bears, um, it, it, it's, it's an important notion because I think we have a lot of misconceptions and we don't understand here why and how do groups like that get so much support or backing? Mm-hmm. Uh, we often just see a brutal side that, oh, you know, they are, they are oppressing the population, they're forcing people, subjugating them and forcing them to follow them. But let me just give it briefly as a parallel to that. Um, Hezbollah in Lebanon, a Shiite militant group, which is on our terrorist list, we constantly uh, you know, try to oppose them. We see them negatively. They're against Israel. We you know Israel mm-hmm. regularly in, in conflict with them. But Hezbollah started as a social justice organization. Most of the Shiite really? population in Lebanon had been completely ignored by the government and were living in squalor. And Hezbollah started out as uh, providing healthcare, providing food, providing education, um, and, and they were encouraged to do that uh, because they were filling a gap in the social and economic structure um, hmm. of the of the country, of the powers that be, for to populations that were being completely ignored. So they 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 developed a really good rapport with the population, and their popularity grew. They became. A, uh, a more of a political force that way. And as the civil war uh, extended and, and expanded in Lebanon, they purchased arms, trained, and became a military power. Um, and, but they continue to provide a lot of the social needs, the economic needs. And, and, and so, you know, it, it's difficult to automatically um, lump everything and look at it as terrorists, as a negative component. Right. Um, yes, they're opposed to uh, what we consider as democracy. They, they are opposed to a lot of the freedoms that we stand for. You know, no, no question, no question about that. Um, but many of these organizations also do a lot of good. I'm not trying to justify them. I'm not trying to to support them, but I'm saying that 
they have a very close nexus with the with with a population oftentimes because they cater to their actual day-to-day needs in addition Ooh. to everything else that they do so are the taliban uh in that kind of camp or like isis what you see with isis was beheadings and things along those lines the taliban was pretty brutal in its own right before that not necessarily doing the cage uh i mean this was like a media stunt in order to try to get more attention and uh draw more uh, other people to the cause uh but did the taliban have most of the people's hearts or is it just the entangling alliances because they moved in with alliances very quickly and started saying okay you can you can get killed or we can be in charge which do you want that's what happened in the last month i mean from my perspective i believe it is a combination of the two okay um now i think i think it's important also to realize that a, a lot of the justifications that they use and a lot of what they how they try to propagate um, their ideas and their ideology is religion based right. now people often look at islam and they say okay so you have the shiite and you have the sunni but the, the truth of the matter is that within Islam, there are actually more divisions and disparate groups than there are in Christianity, given even with all of the different denominations, with all the different sects, with all the different uh, you know, church groups and so on that we have within Christianity, there are more divisions in Islam. All right, so Shiite and and uh, Sunni are just a easy shorthand like Catholic and Protestant. Uh, correct. Actually, yes, it's it's it, it is it is more kind of like a division that happened in some ways between uh, Rome and Constantinople and Christianity. Yeah. This was like who who was succession, right? Wasn't it? Wasn't that about succession? Exactly. Like, exactly. Who, who what was going to follow Muhammad? Was it his his actual children or his heir? You know based on how you know muslim he was or something yep precisely on his deathbed it is you know reported muhammad said the person closest to me is the next leader of islam so one group uh the shiite interpreted that to be his closest relative mm-hmm. which was ali and so they became the followers of Ali or Shi'at Ali, mm-hmm. and so they became known as Shi'a, uh, uh, kind of for short and shortened way. The other group decided that the person who was physically closest to him when he made that statement is who he intended and what he meant, and so they followed somebody called Abu Bakr, and they became the Sunni. Okay, so where are the Taliban in this? In this, I mean, they're a splinter of a splinter of a splinter, or are they kind exactly. of mainstream? Uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to understand is: are they Methodist, or are they some sect that you never heard about? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. See, the reason why there are so many divisions, and I'll get to that to that question in a minute, is because the major the part of the quote unquote miracle of Islam is the Quran, is the text, right? Mm-hmm. However, the text is difficult to understand. It's not 
very well written. I've read it. Grammatically and so on. Plus, to be a real Muslim, you have to do it in Arabic. Yeah, I don't buy that theory, but okay. <laughs> but I read it um, in English, so. You know, and you have to recite it in Arabic. You have to memorize it and recite it in Arabic. Mm. So what happens is, I mean, I mean, the, the most populous, the most, the biggest Islamic country is Indonesia, mm-hmm. right? Sure. They don't speak Arabic there. Most people don't know Arabic. They can recite verses from the Quran, but they don't really, they don't know Arabic. They can't read it. Mm-hmm. And so everything then becomes subject to interpretation. And everybody becomes dependent on a mufti or a sheikh or, you know, a, a leader, like a priest or a pastor, who is responsible to, quote unquote, interpret them, the verses, and let their followers know what Islam is about, what they're supposed to do, what, what they're supposed to follow. Which, it's like Christianity in the Middle Ages before the Reformation, where they were dependent on Latin. Yep. Uh, it, it's a it's a very interesting parallel. Very similar, very similar, and 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 that's part of why you have so many divisions because basically they all just become I'm the follower of so and so, and kind of in tandem with that, the two most critical texts in Islam, um, apart from. The Quran. Actually, you know, maybe at some point you might want to do a program on Islam because, really, truly, if you go to Islam itself, it's actually based on four books. It's mm-hmm. based on um, <clears throat> the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. It's based on the Zabur, which are the, the Psalms of David. Okay. It's based on the Injil, which is Translated means the gospel, which could be like in English, either the four gospels or the entire New Testament. And fourth, the Quran. Those four books together are the foundation of of Islam. And the Quran is the final and most authoritative of those in the like it's the capstone of it in the way in, in their universe, right? To to a large extent, but that also is interpretation. No, and and and, okay. and so that, so that's why I'm saying so there, it's another it's another discussion it's a different it's a different discussion, but coupled with the Quran, are two quote unquote interpretations of the Quran. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds of these interpretations where people go verse by verse, almost like a concordance or what have you that it explains the verses and the passages and so on, and um, so the two most authoritative. Are, are the ones that were written almost, you know, most close in time to when the Quran was written because uh, tradition says, you know, since they were close, most closely in time, they had the greatest insight to what the text really meant at that time in that mm-hmm. context. So it's, everything is continually going back to, okay, so what do the verses say? What do they mean? How do you interpret them? Okay. Another problem with the Quran is, or, or difference with the Quran, is that it's not organized chronologically. No, it's biggest books to smallest books. Exactly, exactly. The New Testament does the same thing. The, the Christian New Testament, I mean, does the same same kind of uh, arrangement. So, I mean, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly. It, it, it was disjointed. <laughs> it, it, 
it, it's a logical system for organizing a bunch of, of writings yeah. that you have. You just go from the longest to the shortest. It's, it's yeah. not right or wrong, but it makes it difficult exactly to interpret, to put things in context and to follow and understand the progression. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, going back to the question, I personally don't exactly know how many <laughs> uh, layers removed they are. The Taliban are from, you know, a, a denomination of our sect. Or you know, you were asking me, are they similar to a Methodist, or, or are they so many uh, places? Where yeah, yeah, I mean, are are they the Branch Davidians of of that world, or are they like mainstream? And that's the, what I'm trying to understand. Yeah, and and um, I, I think they're somewhere between those two extremes. Okay. Um, but a, a critical piece to keep in mind is they are Sunni. Okay. The Sunni are... So are they Wahhabi Sunni? Because that's a main branch within Sunni that is like really fundamentalist, right? I mean, right. so if you take Protestant and then you take Baptist, they are, you know, mainstream, mainstream, whatever. So right. that's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. Now, um, the Taliban are not are not Wahhabis. Um, okay. uh, and and part of the difficulty in answering that is that the expression of let's let's for for the for the lack of a better term let's call it Taliban Islam mm -hmm. um, will vary from location to location, depending on the local leader and the, lo the local religious leader, how they're interpreting it. Gotcha. Now, the important thing about it being um, Sunni and not Shia is that by the mere fact that they're Sunni means that they have a close relationship with Saudi Arabia, with the Sunni world, which is the majority of Islam. Mm -hmm. And import, most importantly, Al-Qaeda, which is a Sunni movement. Yeah, right. And as, as I think about it, as I look at the map in my head, I'm thinking they're right next door to Iran. And Iran's not cool with that. Like this is exactly the, the, it's I think about Northern Ireland and <laughs> and the uh, Catholics and Protestants there. So we Americans would monolithically say, wow, that just makes everything just monolithically bad from iraq to pakistan and no it's not i mean they don't they don't actually like each other that that's that's precisely that was precisely my next point do you, if you look at the map afghanistan is kind of cradled if you will by iran and pakistan right mm -hmm. pakistan is primarily sunni iran is shiite and iran is actually the, the seat or the leader, if you will, of quote unquote the Shiite world. Right. And they are in conflict with the Sunni world, which is largely led by Saudi Arabia. And that's the whole geopolitical um, race in the region. That's why you have Syria. That's why you have Iraq. That's why you have all of these big um, con continuing conflicts. And then you have Turkey in the mix that is Sunni in, in principle but are really looking more at um, uh, a, a more secular interpretation of right. Islam um, and trying to exert themselves as a regional uh, or global force, both uh, you know, from their stand with NATO and then the European Union and so on, but also 
as a Sunni Muslim. Uh, yeah, Turkey's again, a platypus. Going, going back to the Ottoman Empire, I mean, they have their historical roots that they're continuing to try, and and they have a critical role in all of this as well. Uh, they're they're the platypus of the neighborhood. I I, I don't even know where, how to categorize Turkey, right? Yeah, and 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 like most of these players, including ourselves. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, you're constantly looking at what makes the best uh, sense for our own gain at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our, a lot of the decisions that are taken or the different actions that are, are actually pursued are not necessarily consistent or logical because geopolitical forces and alliances and interests are, are changing. Okay. Um, so, so you're a pretty smart guy. And you had all that background to help us see what we could not see before. So does this give you any predictive power to see like what's going to be coming down the pike? And then with that predictive power, what would need to be done to, I mean, because even if a, a majority of the population wanted the Taliban, which generally you don't have to take over by force if people want you, but let's say, even if there was a majority that wanted them, um, you still have a minority that's going to be in grave danger. So what do we do? Okay, so that's all the time that I have right now to be able to talk about it. I try to keep these to about a half hour or less. Uh, in the next episode, we'll go on and, and try to unpack a little bit more about like, what would you actually do? Like what kind of sequence or order, um, not just philosophically what has to happen, but like what would actually need to take place on the ground? So come back next week. Thank you.